Welcome back, everybody, to the Deeper Than Sunday podcast. This podcast exists to be an extension of Grace Church San Diego's teaching on Sunday. It also exists for me to get over a cold and sound all nasally on the podcast. Apologies, everybody. I <laughs> traveled to the big bad Midwest last week, got me a flu, recovering, but I'm here. I'm in the seat. We got two people with me. One of them is not Nicole. I will let her introduce herself now. I am not Nicole. I am Liz, communications Facts. director. <laughs> I got told last night that I was going to be on the podcast. Welcome. Asked. I was asked. Not your first time. Second time? Second time. I will not talk about being a female staff member in a complimentarian church this episode. Do not worry, Liz. <laughs> You're off the hook. Thank you, Jeff. Who else is here? Uh, my name is Josh. I was the preacher this Sunday. Okay. Well, we definitely missed Nicole, but we got three very smart and capable people to talk about Acts 16. Paul encounters three different people. Lots of different things happen. We got a lot to talk about, so let's just roll the theme song. And we're back. Um, okay, so Josh had the great idea last week of starting a new segment called Gen Z recap, which we've actually done for a long time. We just branded it last week. But of course, our Gen Zer, big shocker, flaked on us. Sorry, Nicole. So we're going to call today the Gen X recap. And we only have one Gen Xer in the room. I'm looking at you. Can you recap the passage for us to start off? I would be honored. Yeah. Um, so Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas. Um, on their missionary mission, and they encounter a few different people, uh, Lydia being one of them, the rich lady who sells purple cloth, and then <clears throat> a demon-possessed woman, slave girl, who keeps following them around and annoying annoying Paul so much that he casts the demon out. <laughs> and um, But because of that, because she was a fortune teller as well, the crowds are upset, and they throw them in prison. They are in prison singing, even though they've been beaten severely and their lives are on the line. They don't know their future. And the Lord busts them out and saves the uh, Philippian jailer in the process. Okay. Uh, for Gen Z and GX or Gen X recap, we have a millennial grading system. <laughs> How, Josh, did she do? Yeah, that was A+. Plus. She got the sequence, got all the characters, even the the transitions right. So well done. That's great. I saw I saw a TikTok that was like, "Who do you want if you need to like pick your pick your person if you need someone to break you out of jail?" And it was like <laughs> Jack Bauer, uh, Cadmus Everdeen, like all these <laughs> heroes. And uh, and the girl when they turn, they say, "Who do you choose?" And she said, "Paul and Silas." Yeah, nice. So <laughs> should have said the Holy deep, Spirit, but I get what they meant. Right? Deep Christian subculture joke. I respected it. it. I so we hear Josh often talking about TikTok. You've got TikTok on all your devices, <laughs> per the song from the uh, volunteer. I'm trying to quit, but yes, it's hard. But so TikTok is—it's not a monolith. It's a—it's an algorithm. So are you Correct. are you talking straight up theology, church memes on your algorithm, or you got some football in there? Like what? What's your algorithm <laughs> it's, like? It's so random. A yeah. lot of home improvement stuff. There's Great. always somebody building something. Uh, a lot of comedians, a lot of podcast stuff comes up. And then just silly stuff, which I'm like, I don't know if this is on everybody's or just mine. 
but I, I'm trying to quit. We didn't have the podcast last week, but that's when we talked about like what's hindering your race. I think TikTok's hindering my race. It's morally neutral most days. <laughs> most days it's gray, third bucket. But some days I'm like, uh, this is this is uh, keeping my eyes off what I need to be doing. So yeah. thanks it, for reminding me of that, Jeff. Well, you brought up a good point that we were off last week. Totally my fault. Apologies all around. But we're back. So thanks for – we just wanted to give you guys a break from listening, basically. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, it. Podcast is not going anywhere. We're back. And we're talking about Act 16. So you mentioned this in the uh, message that – a lot of popular churches or popular preachers would read Acts 16 and give the following message. You're struggling, just keep singing, and God's going to save you, right? And this past week, we had our preschool program for Christmas, which is the most adorable thing we do all so year. Um, a bunch of three to six-year-olds up there singing about Jesus and... With that comes a lot of non-believing parents. I don't know our percentages, but it's like 80%, I think, of the kids who go to our church-run preschool are not Christians themselves. So you had a lot of non-Christians in the audience. Was it when you pr were preparing, starting on Thursday, thank you, Scott. I saw him today. He's alive, everybody. <laughs> um, when you started pr to prepare, was it tempting for you to let a little bit of that seep in like, Oh man, we got these newbies. Let's like give them a great feel good message that God's going to help them out. Was that tempting at all for you? Yes. It's always tempting whether they're new people there or not. Uh, I think it's just ongoing. I have an ongoing battle with, uh, different theological streams that become popular. Uh, we've, we've talked about this before, but like prosperity gospel, Big, big hair, uh, late night television, send me your money and God will bless you. I think generally we have rejected that as a culture. And then I think what took its place is like prosperity light, which is functionally God's going to bless you. It, it's not going to look like the crazy stuff, um, but whatever you're going through, it's usually like a battle or a storm or a season, you know, these buzzwords. Um, God's going to get you through that. And if you're not careful, I don't have anyone in mind, by the way, when I'm saying this. I just think that there's a lot of uh, streams of thought that I have in my head. And I, I just wonder if that is, uh, it's tempting, but it's unhelpful long-term to frame your whole life like a battle that God's going to give you breakthrough in or a storm that you're going to get out of, uh, rather than just saying, Jesus is your peace no matter where you find yourself. Jesus is worthy no matter where you find yourself. And if that storm keeps coming till the day you die, then he is still your peace to the day you die. I just think that's actually more beautiful. So to present that to preschool families or whoever, uh, I, I believe that that's a better picture of Christianity than this uh, cosmic Santa Claus that's going to get you through it. If you do the right things, he'll, he'll provide. Right. But if you look at the model of how churches operate, they operate off of giving, yeah, hundred percent, yeah. Well, and we don't have to pay taxes, so that's great. Um, in that sort of model, I'm getting spicy early. Sorry, guys, we're eight <laughs> minutes in. Um, in that model, it's very tempting to deliver a message that says that is consumeristic, sure, because you want people to come back. You don't want them to show up and say. I, I don't need this. I can deal with the world on my own. I thought God was going to help me. 
You want those people to stay so your church grows and the numbers grow and the giving grows, your salary grows. You know, you do it under the guise of we're going to offer this ministry to the community or whatever. Yeah. But in reality, what percentage of giving goes outside of the church in most churches? Very little. And so that's why I asked that question. Is it tempting to not tell the truth and to lie to people for more numbers on Sunday, more money? Liz, do you get what I'm saying? Do you think that's a silly thing for me to ask or do you think it's valid? I mean, I'm sure there's some churches that are always thinking about the bottom line. Um, I'm not sure that's where the tension is in our church. I, For me, I think the tension is more like, do we want to offend people right out of the gate? Because we, we care that they meet Jesus. And it's like, can, can we still rope them in if we tell them the truth straight up? But I feel like, um, I think people are kind of tired of just being lulled to sleep with the prosperity light or prosperity anything. I think it's really refreshing when people walk in the door and just sort of hear, look, this is this is what we believe and and this is why and we're not apologetic for it. And this is what can save you. It has nothing to do with the church, but it has everything to do with people experiencing Jesus. And I don't know. I'm talking to a lot of the first time guests on Sunday. I almost always ask them how'd you like the sermon? You know, and a lot of times I'll even make a joke about it. I'll be like, Hey, pastor Josh, he doesn't like to beat around the bush. What'd you think of the sermon today? And I've never had someone say they were offended. Almost every single response is, wow, that was really refreshing. Or that was really great to just hear someone go straight for it and gave me a lot to think about or whatever. So, um, but I see, I could see why you asked the question. I think, I think the church has a a bad rap for things that have gone down. Right. Um, and to be clear, as you mentioned, I'm not talking about our church. No, I, I don't think I we've done you. that. I'm considering. Um, my goal is not to offend. Um, I think there is a stream of teaching out there that feels like their goal is to offend. My goal is not to fundraise. Um, my, I'm not thinking about that. Um, interestingly, maybe I will be in the future. I'm not currently thinking about that. <laughs> Uh, I, I find myself thinking about Jesus and what makes him look glorious and wonder like who he is, what makes him look like who he is. And I, I just wonder if, if doing that, even when it's hard, cause he himself did that when it was hard, Hey, you're gonna have to take up your cross. You're gonna have to sell. Like he, he was willing to, to say hard things to people, um, because he loved them because he loved them. So I'm actually trying to love you church. Uh, this, it's, it may look a little different. And I said that to people, I'm like, Hey, if you're new, this is going to sound difficult, but if you've been here a while, um, the story's not about you. You shouldn't read Acts 16. And the first thing you do is think about yourself. Uh, but there is a, there is a genre that would read that. And they would say the sermon this week's title is called sing until your chains fall off. And then they would talk about how that's the story. And I just, I wonder if in the long run, that hurts your faith more than helps your faith. Um, because it basically says, if I do this, then God will do that. Um, I'm uncomfortable with that analogy. I'm uncomfortable with that approach to our relationship with God. So uh, I love the story in Acts 16. They do get an earthquake. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do get God in the fire. Um, we serve a God who will meet us in that place. I just, I'm, I'm unwilling to promise that. That's it. I mean, there's... People around the country that have taken the question that I asked seriously, like if you look at uh, Hugh Holter's church and his whole 
idea is that all ministry should be bivocational. Like yeah. we've got a we've got a church down the road where their head pastor is a firefighter, right? And the reason for that is that he doesn't want to tie somebody's livelihood and their income to the message of Christ. Like he, he doesn't want it to get muddy where it's like, man, if I say this, I might lose my job or I might have to take a pay cut. Right. Yeah. And so it is, a, I mean, we're just, we're, we all have flesh and we're all in the fallen world. Like I'm not saying I wouldn't do that if I were in charge, want to talk about that thing. So it is refreshing that our church doesn't, doesn't worry about that. We don't, we don't, um, as you mentioned, that's not the goal to offend. And it's not the goal to water down the gospel. It's the goal to just tell the truth. I think being faithful is bigger than that. I have a conviction about all this stuff. Imagine that. I have like <laughs> so many. <laughs> Now's uh, the time to share I, that I, conviction. I believe I will stand before God on behalf of the people that call me their shepherd. And I don't think all of San Diego calls me their shepherd. I don't even think all of Grace Church calls me their shepherd. I think people that are members say, I'm going to submit to you. You're going to submit to me. We're going to do the dance. Um, <clears throat> and in that comes generosity. Our family's generous. Every, I mean, that's that's to Jesus, not to the pastor. That's to Jesus, not to the church. I just, I, I think that whole concept of thinking that way is far too political feeling. And that has no business in Jesus's church. Um Paul was a tent maker. He also, you know, was able to fund his own ministry in some ways. And also Lydia funded his ministry and also women funded Jesus's ministry. So it's a, it's a touch of a false dichotomy if, if you're not careful there, um, because there's plenty of places where ministers were worth their wages, which I don't know how Acts 16 is talking about paychecks here, but we, we, we got here. We digressed <laughs> nonetheless. Um, but if, if you're being influenced by that, that feels, uh, that feels dangerous and unhealthy and, and you, you will stand before God and that that's, that's much more significant to me than what, what people think of this sermon or that sermon. That's great. Okay. Let's get into the actual text and not just what my brain thinks of. I like it. (laughs) Um, why? Okay. So Lydia comes to them. She's just loaded. She's businesswoman, purple cloth. They go to her house for dinner, but then this other teenager who's got the demon, she's just annoying to them. And Paul casts the demon out, but then they don't go to her house for dinner. So I guess my question, some could say it feels icky. Did they go to Lydia's house because she was rich and they knew that she had influence in the city? And this other little girl who the demon was calling them out, telling the truth, right? She was saying, these people are whatever they say in the text, right? Yeah. Is it just, it didn't matter. And it was just a, it's just a detail. Okay. They went to dinner and they didn't go to her house or is there something else going on? Like, Jeff, am I looking too far into it? Yeah, you're looking too far in the text. She literally says, if you consider me a sister in Christ, come to my house. Mm -hmm. Like she invites them. And she has space and... But the I, teenager didn't have a house and didn't invite them. That's why they didn't go. There's no, I mean, they're in jail in the next paragraph. Yeah. So there's there's no opportunity there. And apparently Lydia hosted more than just them because when they break out of jail, all the brothers and sisters are at Lydia's house. And so um, I, I wonder if, if God was just providing a, a location for the people that ended up coming to faith to, to gather together. 
Um, I did a research paper on this in college, like what churches, it's, it's like four centuries before Philippi gets a building. And so what did churches look like before basilicas, before Constantine allowed them to have buildings? Uh, you, you would go from what they call the house church, which is what we do, to what was called the church house, which is basically the largest house in the city that had a Christian living in it became the church house. And it could usually house around 150 people. And then that moved into Basilica post-Constantine. And so I use Lydia as a picture of the church house, mm-hmm. a person that had the space to gather that was bigger than, uh, you know, houses in North Park can host 15 people. Houses in East County can host more people. And maybe you live in North Park and can host more people. Uh, but in the early church, if you had space, you would allow the church to function out of there because there was there was no synagogue in Philippi. Yeah. At mm-hmm. this time, they're meeting down by the river. That's where they're having church. <laughs> That's great. And Lydia's like, hey, I got a house. And so I don't think there was any comparison as much as it was just joyful generosity on display. Can you affirm me for even asking the question? Because I feel like you were hating on me. Like, I'm thinking too much. <laughs> I'm trying to create a uh, trying to create drama where there's no drama. This is how my brain works. That's why I'm sitting in this seat. I wonder if the slave girl was so oppressed and so taken advantage of that she didn't even have a house. Yeah. Um, she was b- being owned and abused. And I, let me say, Paul wasn't annoyed at her. He was annoyed at the demon that was controlling her. Yeah. And uh, I just tried to be silly in the sermon about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I'm sure there was empathy for the girl, annoyance of the demon. And by all it sounds like she joins the story. She's at Lydia's house with everybody else. I think you just said it. Why? And I didn't, couldn't articulate this, but why it made me feel odd is that there's a parallel story to that where Jesus was on the scene and he looks at the person and takes care of them and says, go and don't tell anybody about me or whatever. And then he goes to the Decapolis and starts this whole movement. And so it felt different. It felt and it could just be like, you know, I've heard Keller, Tim Keller talk about if it's in the Bible, it's because it's important. If it's not in the Bible, it's not important. Yeah. So the fact that they didn't go to dinner, it's not important, right? Yeah. So, okay. No, I, I digress. You. Liz, do you think it was too much when I made fun of her, uh, Paul being annoyed by her? Uh, no. I mean, it was just... funny and it was, we need a little comic relief probably at that point, but uh, I, I think people can kind of figure that one out. On yeah. their own. In preaching, it's called cheap thrills where you're like, <laughs> this is cheap, but it's something it's silly. Yeah. Um, I got home and Harper watched the message online. She was sick and that's not normal. She, how old is Harper? <laughs> 10. 10. Okay. She's like, did you really tell Lucy leave me alone in the name of Jesus? <laughs> I was like, actually I did Harper. <laughs> Under my breath. Yeah. So, um, okay. Next question. <laughs> so, I think this is why I was thinking in this vein is my my main job is as a storyteller and classic storytelling, the story of three acts, right? Act one, act two, act three. Yeah. This story, Luke has written it down as a story of three acts where we have the, the teenager, sorry, we have Lydia, we have the teenager, we have the jailer. So it happens all the time in the Bible where there's three different messages being portrayed how so here's my question and it's not even a question it's a statement it seems like this story is showing us that god works differently in three different ways mm. depending on the scenario 
we've got a we've got a businesswoman. She starts a church. We've got a demon possessed girl. The demon gets cast out. We've got a jailer who does not believe in Christ is the the antithesis of a believer that gets converted. So are we to draw any meaning from that? Or did that come up in like in the study of the text? Like is there are there metaphors within these three people that you can map over God's character hmm. and the way he deals with us in different ways? I, I could share just some anecdotal thoughts about uh, probably our own stories can have these feelings of like, man, God could not save me. Like I'm too sinful or I'm too broken or I've done too much bad. And and then you'll look at the church and think I got to clean myself up before I go there. And then you, you read the Bible and you've got the apostle Paul who murdered Christians now becoming the foremost missionary as a, as a type, as, as a first fruit of what's possible. And then you look at the church at Philippi and you, Two things. One, you're like, man, God could save me. Look at who he saves. And then secondly, as a believer, I'm like, God can save anybody. Because if you think like, who could God not save? Uh, wealthy business entrepreneurs who get up early in ice bath and watch uh, all, all the humor, Huberman stuff and all the uh, Joe Rogan. Like those those guys don't need Jesus and they come to faith in Christ. Uh, what about the sex trafficked people that are abused? They'll never know. They can come to Christ too. What about the guy that works in the prison who's hardened and cynical? No, God can reach anybody. And so I think the story of Philippi, is just a testament of the power of the Holy Spirit in all environments uh, as a faith-building thing for us, whether we think we're too bad or we think other people could never be saved. The Bible's like, who are you talking about? Like, God can save anybody. So that's kind of where my mind wanders. I don't know if yours wanders in a different place, Liz. Yeah, Liz, do you identify with one of the three or Paul? Hmm, That's a good question. Like, who do you identify with? (laughs) Um, you're the purple cloths. Come uh, on, you're pur- yeah. You're I mean, I, I guess that's probably. I don't know. I don't really feel the need to identify with one of the people in the story, but I do love. Um, Wait, I gotta stop. There. Oh, okay. So you consume media. The Bible is included in that. <laughs> and you don't identify with a character? I'm not saying in every Bible story I don't identify. I yeah. just in this one I just one don't. I don't see the need or really see myself in any of those particular characters. But are you Frodo, Sam, or Gandalf? Like, <laughs> we gotta get to the important stuff here. Are you oh, Harry Potter? Gosh. Are you Snape? Who, Who are you? I? Who are you? Snape, really? Snape. We, we, I know we he is all at the want end. to be all of them in different moments, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, kind of. It's well, hard. That's why they make the stories is because there's different types of people. There's Sam's in the world and there's Frodo's in the world. Very different people, <laughs> right? Sam. Who are you, Jeff? Who are you? Well, I mean, I named my youngest son or oldest son Sam uh, after Samwise Gamble. Oh, so. did you really? I love I'm that. I'm him. I'm loyal. That's yeah. one of my favorite stories. Uh, what I do love about the story, um, not so much identifying, is is the concept of... God using suffering. Um, I think that that is such an important thing. I think a lot of people shy away from that, but I think it's all over the Bible. And the idea that the suffering is not going unused for something important. Um, So I have to imagine Paul and Silas just being overjoyed, um, not just being freed, but seeing, probably sitting there in the dark, hurting and wondering what God was doing 
Um, I think that happens a lot in Christians' lives, and I think a lot of Christians don't ever get to get a peek behind the curtain to see why that happened, but they got to see. Like, they got to see just an hour or two later the entire family um, believe in Christ, and I I would guess that's probably one of the things they were praying for, um, laying there. They were praying and singing. So um, that part is probably the most moving to me because I feel like I have been through things that I would call suffering nothing close to what Paul and Silas were enduring. But I think that it's beautiful to think that um, God allows that for a purpose in his kingdom. Yeah. I didn't write this down as a question, but I, I got to ask it. If I were in that jail, even if I was happened to be singing and the earthquake happens, I'm hightailing it out of there. <laughs> right? But yeah. it says they was just sitting there. So you said it. They were they may have been praying for this guy, and that's why they stood there, and that's why they talked to him, right? Mm. Because I mean, that's just like a completely backwards it's way of the kingdom, but backwards to our culture of not thinking about yourself at all at all times. Yeah. Like Paul and Silas were concerned about his salvation. I mean, granted, they were maybe if I was on a mission trip, I would have felt differently, <laughs> right? Yeah. They're in the they're in the a mission trip, so that's what they're thinking and praying about. But they just hung out and saved this guy's family. That's a good point. When your perspective is I'm here on purpose, I can pray and I can worship and I can wherever I find myself, I'm trusting that God put me here. Uh, I love the story of Brother Yoon in China where he would get put in jail. And after a while, they just, they started to have, they were changing the guard like every 20 minutes because he was just leading people to Christ. Like if they put a guard next to his cell, they were like, hey, I quit. I'm a Christian now. I've been talking to Brother Yoon. So there's there's this mentality of uh, I'm trusting God wherever I am. And that's that's just, I think what frustrates me, this goes all the way back to our first question of like, it's, it's as if suffering's like, let's hurry through this and God's going to give me the end rather than... Um, count it all joy to join Jesus in the suffering. And so I think Brother Yoon, Paul and Silas, these guys that were enduring, they they weren't trying to run through it. They were just going to sit in it and trust God. And and I just don't know if if that message is welcomed by us enough. But listen, it's the real world. That's my issue. The real world is pain, suffering, hardship, life. And if, if you frame everything as like, God's just going to get me through it, you're going to miss the joy of meeting Jesus in the darkness. And so I I don't know. I I, I can speculate. Uh, Paul and Silas are like, why well, we got to get out? We're having a great time down here. <laughs> like yeah. We're singing and worshiping. And uh, they weren't trying to bust out of there. They were enjoying Jesus right where they were and trusting him for the results that they are not in charge of. And, and I just... I'm weary of a Christianity that goes, uh, I know you're in pain right now, but God doesn't want that for you because God only wants your good. So here's what you do. Uh, magic trick, sing a little, praise, and uh, not only will you be free, everyone around you will be free. And so it just, it, and then all of a sudden you're the savior. Mm -hmm. You sing and you save. And it's like, what just like, we're no longer in Christianity at this point. Um, what's better is wherever you find yourself, God is with you. He's worthy and he's good. And you respond accordingly. Oh, if an earthquake happens and everybody gets saved, that's a byproduct of your union with Christ uh, that allows him to be the hero, not you be the hero. Uh, but that's, that is the radical individualistic narcissism of America that you're fighting. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard to look at people and go, hey, this story's not about you. 
But God loves you and he wants you to glean from this. And there's actually something better available. Uh, and I, I've learned that over the years from other teachers because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a student in this as well. Well, no. go ahead, Liz. I, I was just going to say, not only that, I think, I think one thing people could miss from that text is that probably, I don't know, speculation, Paul and Silas were, were feeling the presence of God more in that moment than they were in many, many other moments. And I think that's true for people today. I mean, I talk to so many people who talk about the time they were closest to God was when they were going through the hardest thing in their life. And I don't know how it works. It's a mystery to me, but I feel like God does meet us in those moments more so than in most other moments. And so I, I, when you talk about joy, having joy, I, I think it's crazy to think about and our minds have a hard time wrapping around it, but I, I, I think they were sitting there feeling the presence of God. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I don't know that they were suffering as much as we all think they were. Yeah. Painful, yes, like yeah. physical, but um, spiritual, I, I, I got to believe that the Holy Spirit was sitting right there with them, comforting them. Sure. I'm a firm believer, this is an aside, but I'm a firm believer that words are not art work that should be on your walls in your house. Mm. But... Um, Jeff, I will say, I'm not going to be inviting you over I for dinner I will say, <laughs> it's one man's opinion, only, <laughs> not a universal opinion. We do have words as our, in our house. And it's the Spurgeon quote that says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock, rock of ages. Of ages. Mm, that's good. You don't put that up in your 20s. You put that up in your late 30s yeah. when you start seeing yeah. some stuff. The quote is... Uh, it's an, it's an extension of another part where he says some of God's greatest love letters come in black envelopes, mm. like mm. that idea. Uh, yeah. And so he's, he's talking about like the invitation from God into the darkness. And he's like, at the end, I've, I'll kiss the waves yeah. if they'll throw me against the rock of ages. And you're just like that, you earn that. Like mm -hmm. you, you went through that. So, uh, and I, I mean, I, I realize that the world, the reason that the message that we're talking about does not land with the world is because they have yet to experience God truly. The best thing that they've experienced is getting busted out of jail. That's, that's the best. They can't imagine anything better than that. But if they submit their lives over to Christ and feel his spiritual warm embrace, that is better than getting out of jail. This is good. After service, I talked to a few people that were just like, um, reminiscing on their experience in pain and saying uh, how if you frame everything as like, God's just going to get you through it, it actually is, uh, it's fatiguing, it's exhausting. And what's what's more beautiful is saying, uh, God's with you right now and I don't know what's going to happen next. And and how he's worthy of our song. So a person that experienced a miscarriage, a person that had lost a job and felt betrayed, a person who had uh, gotten a divorce. And they were just talking to me. And, and they and one of them said like how how do you sing how do you do it um, hmm. and I just said what this is even in my own experience I'm like well what's the alternative bailing running from God hating God what that that's the alternative um, you've tried that I've tried that it that's doesn't work either and so I I think Paul and Silas had tapped into this deeper magic that's like uh, if if you can figure out how to uh, call God worthy when it doesn't look like he's worthy, then you actually are saying that about him and it has nothing to do with you. 
And that is when you can be transformed. Because so much of the relationship with God is like, if I do this, then it's that inner, uh, like, it feels like everything's in exchange um, versus God, I'm going to glorify you and I'll just be in jail. And, and that's different. Um, that's transformative. Do you love God when you get nothing from it? Mm-hmm. When you just get him, is he enough? Well, no, but also the storm goes away. No, I didn't say that. I just said just him. Is he enough? And sadly, we don't even get to experience that very often. Uh, but preaching that, I, I think, as an aim is is more beautiful than the alternative. Yeah. Buddha gets credit for this, but every world religion would agree. <clears throat> life is suffering. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And we've said it around and around. Either suffer with God or suffer without him. That's the choice. Right? That's this all you get. A, no, this is so good. It's a bummer. Jeff, I'm loving, you your, I'm loving your quotes, man. Uh, Buddha's famous last words were, strive without ceasing. Jesus's last words were, it is finished. Yeah. And just the, the difference there of like, I can rest in the finished work of Christ on the bathroom floor of a jail versus, no, I got to get myself out of here. I got to figure this out. Um, you start to look at, these are fundamental differences in belief structures. Uh, so I, I said Sunday, like the invitation is just sing, sing wherever you find yourself. Get people around you and ask, what song should we sing? And and watch how that's more beautiful. Uh, I think also, I mean, right in the passage before this, which I think is the one we get to hear from Scott next week, <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they are so in tune with where the Holy Spirit wants them to go that the Holy Spirit was blocking them from other places. And so right. it was very clear to them that they were supposed to go to Philippi. And I, I have to imagine that was comforting too. They're like, hey, uh, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us in here if this was not going to further the kingdom. So their peace in all of that had to probably also be correlated to the fact that they were on a mission and they knew that God had sent them there. And so they were that suffering was part of it. And yeah. they probably just accepted that that was one of the reasons they were sent there. Well, that's he gets good. a vision of like the guy from Macedonia. And yeah. a lot of scholars say that's the Philippian jailer. Oh, really? Yeah. It's cool. saying, come like yeah. I'm. I'm the one. So yeah, the Lord was leading them. Mm -hmm. And if you're being led by the Lord and you're on mission, it doesn't matter where you find yourself. That's good, Liz. Mm. Okay. 35 minutes in, we got about 10 minutes left. Let's get philosophical. (laughs) Um, You you brought up um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you would would say that uh, Philippi is during a huge growth period of the church, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we get the as you coined it, the bathroom of the jail. We had the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In 20 AD, we have the arenas that that the Romans are sending Christians to. 200 AD. I'm tracking. Sorry, 200 AD. You're good. (laughs) Getting over the flu, sorry. Um, So we have all those things. And amongst those things, we see growth. We see growth of the Jewish people, growth of the church. 2023, America... I have yet to see a Christian get thrown to the lions, right? So my question is, how do we, as Grace Church, in North Park, San Diego, most expensive city in the world, which means it's probably the most prosperous, how do we move the church forward in a meaningful way if we're never experiencing any kind of corporate opposition? Yeah. The persecution isn't in any way the same as what you're looking at in the early church. Uh, but I think suffering is the same. I think people have uh, suffering 
My my wife Amy, she grew up in the church Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield. Uh, Pastor Roger Spradlin started uh, the church when he was in his thirties. He's about to retire, and his son is going to take over of the church, uh, and gets pancreatic cancer and died last month. Mm. In like six months, the from, dad or the, the dad, dad, the dad was going to retire, and never got to retire. He gets cancer. His son takes over. Um, and I was talking to his son via, we were texting and, uh, he, he just said like, they would sit around his dad's hospital bed and sing. And, uh, he's like, from the time it took about a year. He's like, from the time my dad said, uh, I, you know, I, the doctor said, I, I have cancer to his funeral. Our church grew by 1000 people, yeah. 962 people. And, and I'm like, what? And he just said, my dad just suffered well in front of everyone. He got on the news. They would interview him on the news and he would just glorify God with pancreatic cancer in the hospital. And he's like, so suffering well is universally transcendent. Mm. You just start to look around and be like, what is happening if this guy's doing that? I think Paul and Silas was like, what is happening to be singing in this environment? So I I think uh, when faith... I'm going to keep preaching this because I think it's more beautiful. When when faith offers you nothing but Jesus and he's enough and you're like, I'm going to die. Like, don't get to retire. <laughs> like, My whole life, the plan was going to be this, but now it's this. Uh, and none of that matters because I get Jesus and my son's going to preach my funeral and talk about Jesus. You're just like, whoa, that feels very different. And you go like, why did the church grow? Like, I, I don't know, but I know an unbelieving world finds it unbelievable when you suffer and don't bail, but you press in. So yeah, we, we don't have persecution. I, I think social media being, you know, made fun of as Christians is not, yeah. it's not even the same. Somebody it's, else existing with a different moral set is not persecution. Yeah, it's not persecution. Uh, There's a great meme actually. It's like, it's a little kid who has a hose and it's, the kid is labeled the church and the hose is labeled LGBTQ and the kid is spraying himself in the face with the hose. It's like, just turn the hose away. Like, let him go do their thing. That's not persecution. Anyway, that's an aside. No emails needed about that. You can talk to me in person if you disagree. But I thought it was hilarious. I saw it on TikTok. But there's a, there's a complex where you almost feel like we want to be persecuted. And so I, I just keep going back to the, the real world People are experiencing pain in the real world. What are they doing with that? I I think taking that to Christ and trusting Him, uh, even when the unknown is beautiful. I talked about Matt Chandler. You can go on his Instagram if you follow mm-hmm. him. The there's a pinned video. Fourteen years later, they took his original testimony video to the church, and then they like one of the video team guys uh, overlapped a bunch of other stuff. And in the original video, he says, "I woke up." Uh, at the hospital, there's a tumor in my brain. Like this is three days later, they're going to go and remove it. And he's like, and he starts to get teary. And he's like, in one hand, I count it joy that I can suffer. Uh, on the other hand, I'll, and then it's just go watch the video and cry. He says, I may not get to walk my daughter down the aisle. Boom. Clip of him walking his daughter down the mm-hmm. aisle. Uh, I may not get to be the athlete or see my son be the athlete I never was. Boom. Video of his son being the athlete. Never. So he's saying that 14 years ago. And his whole point is like, I'm telling you right now with everything to lose, uh, Christ is worthy. He's good. 
and I, and this is where he says, I hope my kids don't bail from the, the God I love. So he's still battling 14 years later. He's, yeah. he's doing better. His daughter is married. His son's going to college. He has a third daughter as well, or third kid. But there's, there's a, a beauty in that that says, um, I'm not going to say God is good so that I walk my daughter down the aisle so that I, he's like, I'm going to tell you now he's good. And, and whatever comes may come. Um, anybody listening to me, that is better than this other thing that says, God, if you don't do this, I'm going to bail. Um, because it's, life is just going to be hard. And, and God is, God is the good news of our life. Not, not the one who can bail us out if we love him just right. Yeah. Liz, you're a mother. Mm. Be a mother to the listeners. How do we, how do we suffer? Well, how do we, um, when faced with suffering. And I don't know much about your personal life. Maybe you've suffered a lot. Maybe you've suffered a little. But how do we do it? And then I want to hear pastor too. We got mother, we got pastor, both important. How do we suffer well? Oh my gosh, Jeff. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think I don't know that I suffer well. <laughs> we'll start with that. But I don't. I I would hope that in any situation, I would still um, give God glory in this in that situation, and that my kids would see that that I wouldn't be blaming God, that I wouldn't stop praying with them at night or stop reading them the Bible in those moments, um, but that they would see me lean in even more. Um, I don't know. I think that's really all it is. It has to be. You're everything, regardless of your circumstances. Yeah. And That's let me good. be clear. That's good. And maybe maybe clarify if I'm wrong. We're not saying don't shake your fist at God. No. Say, why me? That's legal. That's lamenting. That's <laughs> major portion of the song. 65% of the Psalms are lament Psalms. Uh, I mean, you've seen the Tim Keller clip, I'm sure, where he talks about Job. Job fights with God. And he, he's mad at God. And he's like, what's what's the main difference and in beautiful Keller fashion, he says, he did it all with God. Mm-hmm. He prayed to God. He fought with God. He lamented to God. And what the other the other guys didn't do it with God. They just were mad and walked away. And so this is a dynamic relationship. I, I, I think that's for sure. Um, you can ask God, do you still love me? Do you see me in all this? How long, O oh Lord, uh, will you forget me forever? I think that's Psalm 13. What a great way to start a song. <laughs> How long, O oh God, will you forget me forever? Question mark. Um, and often that builds the relationship. It, this is this is part of the the dynamics. Um, I just wonder. This is I don't know how to do this. I'll just I think this is the key, and I don't know how to do it. Uh, but an eternal perspective is probably the path to getting out of our current moment. Realizing um, this world is not my home. Christ is preparing a place for me. He's got my days numbered. I trust in Him. Eternity's on the way. How in the world we do that? Well, look I, at the way know. that people groups who are actually oppressed worship God. Like Keller said this word, so I will copy it. You're not supposed to say the word anymore. But the Negro spiritual was exactly that. Mm. It's like, I and cannot it, wait until I am out of this world, mm. that I am with God. The persecuted church in Africa and China, maybe not in Africa, but in China and Asia. North Africa. North Africa. <sighs> yeah. It's like... 
we just have a completely different perspective of how God is going to interact with us yeah. in a non-persecuted way versus those cultures who were highly and are still being highly persecuted. It's it's in that when you get an eternal perspective figured out, uh, you actually get your earthly perspective much more figured out. Uh, and it doesn't mean you sell everything and go live on the mountain. That, that's not it. Uh, but it, it sets you free internally to to be okay with whatever comes. So that's, that's, again, it's hard to figure that out. It's hard to teach that to your kids. Great. Best episode ever. I'll just say <laughs> it. Um, did we cover it all? Was there anything you, you, I know you only had three. I was going to say, actually, Josh, you should just start prepping on Thursdays. Cause Amen. you were, you were fire on Sunday. You only had two or three days to prep. I taught some of this stuff before, thankfully. So don't don't pretend that I'm just like Are you some, in 15 some years wizard. Covered 15, uh, Acts 16 before. I love that sermon. I love the story. So I had some thoughts about it before, um, which is helpful. But you always want to contextualize. You always want it to be fresh. Uh, I, I just found myself going like, guys, if we get this, this this could help us. This could transform our lives. Um, wherever you find yourself, worship, worship. He's worthy. He's good. And uh, and that can be a witness to the world. Like our prayer and our singing can be worship and can be witness. And that's that's no easy task, but that's what's in front of us. Tira said we should get some Grace merch that says, what are we singing? <laughs> what song should we what sing? Song should we, should we sing? What song should we sing? That's great. How good is that though? To oh, be yeah. in the worst of it and just be like, let's sing a little. That's powerful. You know, they... The only reason they could do it is because they did it when things weren't bad, too. It's just their habit. You've talked about this yeah. before. I know we're over time. When you get up every single day and you sing and you worship and you're quiet and you pray, when S-H-I-T or S-H-I-Z, whatever <laughs> word you want to use, hits the fan, <laughs> that's what you're going to go to. If you go to alcohol, you're going to go to alcohol. If you go to prayer, you're going to go to prayer. If you go to sing, you're going to go to sing. you got to make the habit before you got no shot. Once that's it, once that's it really good. Yeah. yeah. Jesus didn't decide in the garden what he was going to do. He, he had been living that way in obedience perfectly the whole way. It just was the hardest moment. Yeah. And in the hardest moment, you should fall back on who you are. It's the boss. That's what video games are designed. You practice the little moves in the level, then you get to the boss because <laughs> you practiced enough. And so, yeah, when the boss comes of suffering, you're ready. So, <laughs> anyway, thank you guys for listening. Sorry again about last week. Um, we just love hearing feedback. So if you have any feedback or questions that you want answered, uh, hit us up on Instagram, our Instagram story. We'll have uh, a place to do that every Sunday or email us at podcastergracesd.com. Until next week, we will talk to you then. Mm-hmm.